powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our show, Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, fresh back from the Big Easy, New Orleans, Louisiana, where they have the gumbo and the shrimp and the spices and all kinds of wonderful fried catfish and all kinds of great stuff. So I enjoyed the weekend in New Orleans last weekend. Of course, we're just coming off Memorial Weekend and New Orleans and me do not have good karma and vibrations as far as travel is concerned in automobiles. Last time I was in New Orleans, I got rear-ended in a taxi cab, and I had to run out of the hotel. I forgot something that I really, really needed, and I had to run out of the hotel. It was a medical prescription that I didn't check my bag well enough, and I didn't take enough of the medicine with me, so... I got my doctor to call in the medicine to a pharmacist in New Orleans. It got filled, and I only had like 30 minutes to get there from the hotel. We had a lot of rain. The pumps in the city weren't working, so we had flooding in downtown New Orleans. And so my Uber driver comes to this spot in the road where there's a lot of water, and he looks at me, and he asks me what I think we should do. And I looked at him and asked him if he could swim, and he said he could. And I said, I can too. Floor it. So we went through the water and got my medicine and I got back to the hotel about five to ten minutes before they closed the streets. Very adventuresome trip I was on. Sounds like it. Yeah, good food, good fun, lots of great stuff going on in New Orleans. A lot of my compatriots and comrades and peers in the coaching and consulting business were there and I enjoyed spending time with them. Came back with a lot of great ideas uh, to use for our clients and so that was a good time. Did you guys have a good Memorial weekend? Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, spending in Kansas. Memorial Day was National Wine Day, so I hope you also celebrated <laughs> um, with not the complaining kind of wine, <laughs> but the drinking kind of wine. No, just beer for me. Just beer. Okay, good. And some barbecuing, I'm sure. Yes. Okay, good. Before we get into today's show, I want to talk a little bit about our big exponential leadership retreat that's coming up for three days. We don't do these very often, but we've got one coming up at the end of June, the 27th, 28th, and 29th here at the Clear Vision Development Group headquarters building. We have a beautiful, beautiful room that we work in with our participants. It's lakeside. It's great environment. You feel like you're off on an actual retreat which you are, but you got the uh, smell of the Mexican restaurant next door. You got the nice breeze blowing. We have the water and the fountains and And the geese and the geese. Yes. Swans. I think they're actually maybe, (laughs) but we have all of that atmospheric uh, presence around. And I think you should join us because right now you can get into the leadership retreat for $725. That's going to be going up 50 bucks to 775 here in about, oh, just a couple of days. So we're going to spend all of the 27th, all of the 28th, and all of the 29th equipping you to be the best leader you can be. And you can increase your capacity to be able to respond to future opportunities. And it's something that I always look forward to, a small group of people over a three-day period so we can really dig in and do one-on-one help with less than 15 or so people. And we get a lot of work done. We get a lot of questions answered over a three-day period. The group really bonds together. And we just had our contest on social media to win a free seat in the Exponential Leadership Retreat. And we've already announced it on social media. But I want to give a special shout-out to Maria Nelson of the KCAS Analytical and Biomarker Services in Kansas City, who won a free seat at our Exponential Leadership Retreat. And I have met Maria before. Last year, we did their core ideology for the laboratory. That's mission, vision, and core values. We worked on that project together last year. And she entered the contest, and she won this year. And so 
I don't know what she's going to do with her colleagues because I think about four or five people entered and she won. So maybe the fight is on now. <laughs> we had a lot of entries for that. That was pretty cool. And Maria was very excited when we called. I think she was jumping up and down. She sounded so excited. Good. Well, I'm glad. I'm looking forward to spending a couple of days with her with the and along with the other people who have already signed up. And if you haven't, you need to get in here because I promise you 775 or $725 right now, going to $775 is only a small percentage of what I would charge for three days of just sitting down with you and going this deep with you and helping you develop and helping you work on new opportunities, new challenges, honing your skills, developing your own personal core ideology, refining your behavior, putting more power behind your motivations, sharpening up your acumen, looking at the seven to 10 go-to competencies you really need to go to the next level, and also working on your emotional intelligence, being able to manage yourself emotionally when the chips are down and helping you make the winning moves when you most need to. It's going to be a great, great time. Here's what's going on in the business world that I want to talk about this week. Fortune 500 has just come out with some new numbers, some fun facts on some of the Fortune 500 companies. And according to their latest numbers released this week, the Fortune 500 crop grew their sales by 6% over last year to $12.8 trillion, and their profits jumped some 13% to $1 trillion. So the market capitalization jumped 11%. To 21.6 trillion. And these numbers represent an average 7.8% profitability. And with a combined 28.2 million employees, this puts the average revenue per employee at $453,901. We know that brand which is something that we really emphasize here at Clear Vision, brand gives pricing power. So the stronger your brand, which is an evidence of distinction, what makes your company very distinct, different, and valuable? That's what a brand is. So when you have brand power, you also have pricing power. So when you have a lot of brand effectiveness and brand equity, it becomes more about value and less about price. That's what gives these big firms much more efficiency in generating revenue. And when they can put a process in place that's repeatable and consistent along with a technology accelerator, that's that's money, baby. It's why you got to own a large position of a narrow niche to give you the same pricing power. And brands are more effective. You know, there's a cliche, the riches are in the niches. Specialists get paid more than generalists. More revenue would be generated by a brain surgeon than a general doctor. So when you get into the specialist category and area, that gives you more brand power, more of a niche, more of a specialist position. You're always going to make more and charge more. Walmart and Apple are at the top of this Fortune 500 list. Walmart finally passed the half trillion dollar revenue mark. Apple remained the most profitable at $48.35 billion on $229 billion in revenue. So they took in $229 billion. They were able to put $48.35 billion on the bottom line. My Apple dividend should be going up because they should have more cash on hand. They either got to buy back shares with that cash or they've got to pay out a dividend, or they got to invest, which I'm sure they'll do all three in research and development of new products and services. When I own that stock, I'm always really happy. Uh, At the conference this weekend, there was a lady there who was complaining about her Apple product. And she said, look at me, I'm complaining. And I have like seven of these things. And I'm like, right. And my dividend just went up a dime. And I'm excited because you bought another iPhone. Walmart by the way, is the largest employer with over 2.3 million employees. How would you like to manage that many people? And Amazon, so here's what the gap is between Walmart and Amazon. Walmart has 2.3 million employees. Amazon has 566,000. Amazon is doing what it's doing with, what, about a fourth of the people compared to Walmart. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Good business statistics. 
What are you doing to grow your revenue? What are you doing to grow your brand? What are you doing to grow your pricing on your products and service? What are you doing to grow your revenue and profit and putting more to the bottom line? You guys got some questions. I understand we had some listener questions come in, both email and Twitter. And what do you got for me? Well, I have the first one. Okay. This listener says, I'm a little surprised at your defense of high CEO salaries. How can anyone making that much money be justified? Well, at the risk of insulting our listener, which I would never want to do, I just want to give you the give you the theory and the facts. When someone makes a statement, how can someone how can someone eating that much be justified? How can somebody to have that big a house be justified? How can someone with that many uh, old VHS tapes in their collection be justified? You can take anything that anybody has and they have it in great amounts and put in there, right? And it just depends on are you an abundant mindset person or are you a scarcity mindset person? An abundant mindset person says, I don't really care how much anybody makes. There's plenty for everybody. And there's plenty for me. A scarcity mindset person says, holy cow, that person is making all that money. There's not going to be enough for me. It just depends on your perception and your outlook and the way you process information. Let's just take these companies we just talked about. And I can't remember the CEO salary for Cook at Apple. What did we just say? We said that that Apple had a profit per employee of over $390,000 and they made $229 billion in revenue and they had $48.35 billion go to the bottom line and you think a CEO making X million wouldn't be justified. I mean, it looks like to me did a pretty good job. Right. And I think if somebody does a really good job, they should get rewarded. Most people just aren't typically used to dealing with those kinds of numbers and those big numbers. A CEO once asked me, he said, what's the difference in running a business of a million dollars and a business of a hundred million dollars? And I said, where you put the decimal? The principles are the same. Everything's just bigger and more complex and takes more time and probably helps you not sleep as well at night because you got many more problems and many more things to worry about. Believe me, these guys do plenty to earn whatever they're getting compensated. Is there salary abuse out there? I think I said when we talked about CEO salaries, of course there is. There's there's bad deals made every day where people either pay more than they should or don't pay as much as they should. I mean, those things happen. I get really nervous when someone tries to put a box around what somebody should be able to achieve. That makes me uncomfortable and nervous because our country was founded on freedom. Our founding fathers came to this country because they were tired of being taxed and they were tired of being told how to worship their God. And they wanted to be able to worship God the way they wanted to and they wanted to get away from the tax tyranny of the government that was oppressing them. I think sometimes we get away from those principles and we start saying, well, that's just ridiculous. They don't need that. Well, I think that should be up to every individual person as to what they need. I certainly don't want to be the one that tells everybody what they need. And I don't want anybody telling me what I need. And I don't want anybody to tell me what I want either. And I don't want to tell you what you should want. If somebody decides that they're going to go to school and they're going to get out of school and their life's ambition is to get to a big company and run it and make a whole lot of money, I wish them nothing but success. I think that's wonderful. Also, I'd say, and I think I said this in the last podcast, that there are not a lot of those jobs. You know, if there are Fortune 500, there's 500 of those jobs. That's it. And any time a resource is limited, what happens to the price of it? It goes up. Right. When you have a small amount of something that people want, the market is asking for it. The market wants it, and there's not very much of it. It's always more expensive. If there's only 500 of these jobs, and they're valued very highly, they're going to be compensated as such. 
to me, it's not my opinion. So that, you know, if I defended it, I'm sorry, it's just what I believe in. I think it's the marketplace will dictate the winners and the losers. We don't have to do that. The market will always tell us whether or not it's going to support something. We vote with our pocketbook. The reason Apple made so much money last year is because people wanted their stuff. If people stop wanting their stuff, they won't make as much money. So the market will determine the winners and the losers. We don't have to do that. So we don't have to decide what people make, thank God. Okay, what's the next question? I pontificated there enough. (laughs) The next question has to do with EQ. Mm -hmm. Our listener asks, is this something a person is born with or can it be developed? I'm guessing they're talking about emotional intelligence. That's what we just talked about a little bit in the exponential leadership retreat we spent almost a whole day of the three days talking about people are born with attributes but they're not fully developed this gets into the old argument are leaders born or are they made and i say both i don't know any leader that wasn't born do you every leader i know was born right right at some point Now, what they mean is that they just came out of the womb fully formed and fully equipped and is just this fabulous person. That's not true either. None of us come out of the womb fully ready to go. We all have to be developed. Emotional intelligence is that way. It's something that some people may have a propensity to self-awareness or they may have a propensity to self-regulation, but they have to work it. If you work it, it will work better. If you don't work it, you'll just be stuck at whatever level you are. No, you're not naturally born with it and never have to work on it. Nothing's that way. Bob Dylan did not write songs when he came out of the womb. He had to work at it. And (laughs) Eric Clapton did not come out playing the guitar. He had to work at it. They might have some propensities toward those things. They're not fully developed to be what they are today. And we see the gift in its full development. So we go to a concert and we see Eric Clapton playing guitar and we just assume he's always been able to do that. And we don't see the hours and hours and hours of practice and practice and practice. We don't see him as somebody sitting down struggling with a songbook and making mistakes. We don't see him that way. But because of the hours and hours of him doing that, we see the final product. And we think, wow, he just can do that. And nobody can just do anything. They have to work at it and develop and practice. Harvard Business School says 10,000 hours or at least 10 years to even get to the fringes of mastery. Next question. We have a listener that asks, what is the relationship between leaders and followers? Well, that's a good question. This is not the question, but I'll throw this in. I don't think there's anything wrong with being a follower. Because we have put leadership on such a pedestal. I always like to ask, you know how many leadership books have been written? (laughs) Too many. (laughs) Because we're not doing any of them. We just keep reading them and we don't do them. And it's much more valuable to do them than keep stuff in our IQ. Right? We need to focus on our ability quotient more and our intelligence quotient maybe slightly less. Because we've all got fat intelligence quotients, but we got slim ability quotients. It's okay to be a follower. It's okay to be a leader. It's okay not to be a manager. It's okay to be a level one employee your whole career if you're really good at it. And it makes you happy. And it makes you happy. And usually one comes before the other. Usually you're really happy and you love what you do. Therefore, you become good at it. Right. If you don't really like it and you're not really happy, you can never be good at it. I don't care how hard you try. I think the biggest difference, though, is change. I think leaders are better, of course, at being a change agent. I think leaders by nature are directional. Leadership provides direction. So they go into the future in their minds and they come back to the present and tell everybody, look, this is the direction we're going because they've already been there in their head. Now they're going to take them there in reality. Usually something different has to happen. You know, I believe it was Einstein that said, if you continue to do the same thing over and over and expect something different to happen, you're crazy. Leaders make the decision, we're on our way to Dallas, but we actually need to go to Denver. So I've got to convince everybody to change highways because if we don't change anything, we're going to keep going to Dallas. What we really need to do is go to Denver. 
So somehow I've got to get them off I-35 and get them on I-70. Now, that sounds simple, but it's not. And that's the biggest difference, I think, between leaders and followers is that leader is the one that makes that conscious decision to switch roads because they need to switch destinations. Next question. If you think that's a good enough answer. Yeah, sounds good to me. Okay, good. I've satisfied the panel in the studio, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Our next question is, how would you go about praising a team member in public? Hmm. Well, first of all, I'd say it's not always a good idea to do that because I know your intention and your thought might be everybody likes public praise, but not everybody does. Some people get embarrassed about it. Some people are very nervous about what their peers think about them. They get worried that their peers are going to look down on them or maybe pick on them or whatever because they got praised in front of them. So you got to make sure you don't have some of that going on. If a team member did something that was very pivotal in connection with some of your success, I think you definitely got to mention them. If I were in public doing a speech, you guys weren't even there. But I was talking about the podcast and somebody said our podcast was successful or our podcast was doing a great or really educating people and they loved it. I would also give credit to you all as well as taking the credit myself. I would say, well, I don't do that alone. You know, producer Bill and project manager Whitney have a lot to do with it as well, and they do a great job, and I'm lucky to have them. You guys are not even there, Hmm. right? Right. But because you're part of it, I feel a responsibility to acknowledge you. I think what this person is asking, though, is like in a group meeting or something, which I think is a great way and a great time to do that. Now, I think team members have a hard time singling out one person. They feel like, oh, I can't leave the X, Y, and Z out. So if I if I praise W and I don't praise X, Y, and Z, they're going to think, well, why didn't they mention me? Mm-hmm. So sometimes team members feel a little nervous about praising another team member. But leaders should feel very good about singling people out and say, hey, Bill did a great job on this and I just want everybody to know I'm really thankful for Bill doing that. And that's as long as it should be. You don't have to go on with, you know, you go on with much accolades and Bill gets embarrassed and everybody else gets <laughs> resentful. But you can just quickly acknowledge. Right. Or else people get thinking, well, they didn't really even, I don't even care what I do. Mm-hmm. Right. Or they don't even think I'm valuable or they don't, didn't recognize all everything I did to contribute or, you know, I think you got to do that. As a follow-up, you're talking about praising them in public. What would you suggest as an alternative to kind of avoid some of those pitfalls? I think the leader has to set the example. I don't know. I think it depends on what kind of team you have. And that is all determined by the leader, too, which is a whole other 15-minute discussion. But some people want a team of individual people that are very focused on their own lane And they only want to talk to them about that lane. They don't have to work together. They only have to focus on one thing. And they go off and let's say they manage the retail services. And this person manages the maintenance department. And this person manages the customer service department. And they don't have to work together. They just got to do a great job with retail, customer service, and maintenance. Other people want those people to interact, work together, and form a bond and a team together and make decisions together. So it depends on what kind of team you want. And it also depends on how strong each one of those individuals are. If you have a a team that's got to work together and they're all really strong and very egocentric and this and the other, you won't have any of those problems about praise and, and all that. But if you have more process and data oriented people that might be somewhat introverted. So there's no one answer. It's all dependent upon the individual members of the team and managing back to what's going to get the most out of them. Well, our final question is how often do you feel it's necessary to meet with your team? Mm, I think team members ought to meet every day. I think the leader ought to meet with the team once a week about an hour and a half at the most. People don't mind meetings. They just don't like bad meetings. 
So if the meeting's good, people don't care if you have a meeting every day. But if the meeting's bad, they hope you only have one a year, right? Mm-hmm. It's incumbent on the leader to make sure there's a good agenda. Everybody knows what the agenda is. People come thinking about the meeting beforehand. Everything's not decided in the room. Everything's not heard for the first time in the room. People don't have to process it all or sleep on it or think about it. They've already thought about it. Everybody knows what the meeting's about. Everybody knows what the agenda items are. Everybody's thought about it. Now we're prepared to discuss not direction, but solutions. If it's a meeting to discuss direction, that could go on for weeks. If it's a meeting to discuss solutions, everybody should be up to speed on everything that's happened and be prepared to bring solutions. So depends on what kind of meeting you want to have. Is it an information meeting where it's just an FYI to everybody? Is it a training meeting where we're actually going to try to teach you some new stuff? Is it a sharing meeting where everybody's supposed to bring their contribution? You can vary up meetings and make them effective. They don't have to be the same old, same old. But the team ought to meet once a day, usually at the beginning of the day, for about 10 minutes. Just to set the agenda for the day. Everybody knows what everybody's working on. Everybody has their top three to five things they're trying to get done today. Everybody's reporting in on the status of what's going on. And everybody talks about, you know, the number one thing, if come hell or high water, they're going to try to achieve. And they share that with each other. Now, the staff meeting, that's like I was talking about earlier. That can be an hour and a half once a week. I like Fridays a little bit better than Mondays. People are usually in a good mood on Friday, and they're a little sluggish on Monday. People look forward to Friday afternoon meetings if they're good meetings. People dread Monday morning meetings, especially if they're bad meetings. Just my opinion. That's all the questions that we have for you. Okay. If you got a question or a thought you'd like to share, you can get me on Twitter at TonyRichards4 and just hashtag it better than before. Or you can email us, info, I-N-F-O, at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Today's guest is coming up on our next segment on Better Than Before. Are you ready to up your game? Attend the Exponential Leadership Retreat from June 27th through 29th. In these three days, you'll receive personalized leadership coaching in a small group setting led by Tony Richards. Learn to communicate like a leader, understand your motivators, and differentiate yourself from your peers. As a business coach and consultant, I work with leaders every day to help them up their game and lead their team to victory. During this leadership development experience, you will receive the tools you need to unlock your potential. Invest in yourself and gain the same access to Tony that his C-level clients receive. Register for the Exponential Leadership Retreat online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to today's program on Better Than Before. This is Tony Richards, and for our listeners who may not know, uh, as part of the City of Columbia government structure, we have a regional economic development division that also takes care of the airport and also helps bring businesses to Columbia and attracts business to Columbia. But they also have an entrepreneurial division, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today because we're fortunate to have as our special guest Colin Bunch, who's the Director of Entrepreneurship for Ready. Colin, welcome to the program today. Hi, thanks for having me. So glad that you could come, and I'd like to start out today, just have you tell everybody a little bit about your past and a little bit about your background. Okay. So my family's from Missouri originally. We still own Bluff Dwellers Cave in Knoll, Missouri, in McDonald County in Southwest Missouri. Been in my family for 90 years, but I grew up in California and moved around Texas, Ohio, and moved to Missouri when I was in high school. So you said 90, right? Like like in almost 100. Oh, yeah. wow, that's a long time. Yeah, I'll have to have a big push for the 100. Yeah, <laughs> not there yet. Have the centennial. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go on. Oh, and then um, you know, went to school at UCM in Warrensburg, studied business, started a business while I was in school, did some consulting, grad school, and then I was recruited to Columbia through the Small Business Development Center about five years ago in partnership with Ready. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your family. So my parents now run the cave. They've taken that over just in the last year. Have what's the name of the cave? Bluff Dwellers Cavern. All right. And they're not entrepreneurs themselves, so it's a learning curve for them. Yep. And then my family here in town, I have my wife and two kids. My wife works with me on lots of different projects. She's been part of a few startups. 
You'll tell me their names. Ender and Elsie. So Ender's three years old and Elsie's seven. Oh, cool. Cool. And where'd you find those names? Uh, honestly, Elsie was a combination of our initials, Lisa and Colin. Oh, And wow. then we found out it's that actual name. Like, So it's Elsie, but it, say it together, right? Yeah, we spelled it out E-L-L-C-I-E. <laughs> and then Ender is from Ender's Game. It's a book, a sci-fi book that I really love. I'm familiar with it. And your wife's name? Lisa. Okay, good. Sounds like a great little family. Why entrepreneurship? Your parents weren't entrepreneurs. What got you interested? You know, I was thinking back, I gave a presentation today, and my first venture, I think, was around sixth grade, and I was too tall to trick-or-treat anymore, because I'm pretty tall. And so my brother and I designed a haunted house in our garage, and we charged kids two pieces of candy to go through the haunted house. We made more candy than we would have walking around all night. Oh, wow. You know, looking back on that is like, this is a way to solve problems or change a situation at UCM every student has to start a business before they graduate and figured out that I was actually a pretty good leader in that scenario and uh, was able to connect with people and we did really well yeah so University of Central Missouri at Warrensburg and you mentioned that earlier and so you were the small business counselor there so what was that role like did you enjoy it Yeah, I think that was really interesting. I covered everywhere from like really rural, remote Missouri where we do trainings and meet with people to Kansas City where it was really exploding, almost like a renaissance. And we had, you know, the start of One Million Cups and a lot of the incubators and accelerators that are there now had a really good pulse on where Missouri was going. You know, met with people individually and helped them, you know, be more successful or start something. You also served in an adjunct role as a professor at Mizzou. reason I wanted to ask you about these two different roles is one's probably pretty theoretical and another one's pretty hands-on. Did you like being a classroom teacher? So I think my because of my work and working with entrepreneurs and students who started companies that my class was really hands-on. I mean, day one, it was do real stuff, you know, launch a real website. We're going to meet with real entrepreneurs as much as I could, you know, push things live. Yeah. Assume they're going to fail. The most important thing is to launch, right? I mean, launchership, that's the golden egg, right, you're trying to get to. And I really found, especially as students, there's not a lot of risk, right? No one really expects you to be that successful. And they'll kind of root for you where that doesn't happen maybe as much when you're uh, out of school. So out of every several ideas that come along, what's the ratio of the ones that, you know, really amount to something or really take off? Hmm. Like for every 10, let's say, for every 10... Is it one yeah. or two? Or I'm going to say in town, I'm from like who we're seeing, you know, seven or eight. And our, our job is to get the last couple to something. So if they're coachable and they can iterate and find a model, it might be not what they started with. Well, that's one of the things that you and I talked about before we went on the air today is how Columbia has all of this cool stuff going on that a lot of people may not know about. It's interesting that someone the other day mentioned that we have all these resources of a big city or Chicago, but we're kind of a small town. And so you can get a meeting with you know, the head of Ready and Bill Turpin at Missouri Innovation Center and the mayor, and we can all talk about how we can help you or connect you. So I think having those high-level resources function at that grassroots level, you know, with individuals is really powerful. Yeah, so you've been in the classroom and you've been Mm hands-on, and you've also founded a company of your own called SB3 Global. Is that the name? Mm -hmm. So what does SB3 do? Some of my side work, I do consulting with the Edward Lowe Foundation. They help second stage companies around the country, including Missouri. So over a million in sales, over 10 employees, they kind of hit this acceleration point where they really create a lot of net new jobs and can change the economy. So look at Veterans United, you know, year one or two. And through that, we saw a lot of companies who have amazing stuff who are you know, taking over the markets, but they're sort of timid about getting outside the U.S. So SB3, have some partners in South America, some other people who work with those kind of companies here in town, and we just try to f- play matchmaker to some markets. Who already wants this if they could get it? Yeah. So now you work for Ready here in Columbia as part of that regional economic development ecosystem. What's your part in all of that? You know, it's kind of interesting because it's, it's a new position. So I'm, we're sort of designing it as we go based on what the community needs. The main thing is meeting one-on-one, coaching individual entrepreneurs. We have about 25 startups that are in our innovation hub downtown, but we I'll meet with and work with anyone that we can. I'll meet with them regularly and also connect them to the Women's Business Center, the Small Business Development Center. And then we also look, you know, my role is to take a step back and look at the overall ecosystem how do all these resources interconnect and are we making it easier for people to win basically. So we'll design new programs, create partnerships. We've done a lot of specialty events, hackathons, game jam, stuff like that to draw people out and connect them to the resources. How do people find out about all this stuff that's going on? 
you know, a lot of it is still going to is word of mouth. Their friends tell them they should check it out. You got to be connected. You yeah. got to be in the network. People will find us now. They, they know to search for resources and entrepreneurship or startup stuff. They see some press. So we've tried to do better. I kind of think for a long time we just sort of did our thing. But we're trying to communicate to the community more. That way they know, okay, we're a place for you. Someone today told me, I didn't realize until recently, that you work with all kinds of companies, not just tech. And we have food companies, board game companies, service, kind of everything in town. For our listeners who may not be familiar, what is a hackathon? I actually had some suppress on that, and they clarified that it's not a, it's not a negative thing. We're not doing anything thing. illegal, yeah. right? Yeah, so the idea is just to build something in a short amount of time. So 24 hours, 48 hours. We usually do two days. We did a hack for social good. So we identified some community problems, and then you had two days to design a solution that involved some kind of technology to make it sustainable or automated, and then present it out and get prizes or support. Continue it. And are you guys the folks who do the startup weekends and stuff like that? We work with them and partner with Influence & Co., and they have a team who usually leads that, Alyssa. They get a lot of support from Veterans United. And what goes on at a startup weekend then? Startup weekend kicks off on a Friday Anyone who wants to can pitch an idea. I think they get 30 seconds. So try to frame an idea. Everyone who's attending, who's going to participate, goes and votes on what they're interested in and then form teams. And then the idea is to work on it and get it as far as you can, as, as far as validation or building out the business by Sunday. And then they present and win prize money to That's pretty keep it awesome. Going. That's pretty awesome. You know, most of my clients that I work with, well, all of them really, are they're um, experiencing challenges of scale. So yeah. that's what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I'm not sure that what you do isn't harder, like getting it going, you know, yeah. and, and getting some life into it. Then you can worry about scaling later, right? But you got to get it off the ground and get it going. What's the biggest challenge getting some of these businesses on good footing? It's a great point. I think I think scaling is a whole different challenge. I work with those kind of companies too. So I think our biggest challenge is if we know it's a solid business, if they're really solving a problem, we have all the resources and connections to help them. So we focused on this uh, I-Corps model, three or four weeks validation basically really focus on customer interviews, kind of coaching interviews yep. with their potential customers, who you think is going to buy this and not about their solution, but what's the problem? You know, what do you do now? Who do you talk to? Who do you trust? And they really map out, is there an opportunity here? What's it look like? And then from there we can help them execute. So in your experience in working with some of these entrepreneurs, I mean, they're obviously brilliant and there's a difference in having a great idea and having an actual business model. Where are some of the examples that some of these people do their thinking? Where do they think at? Yeah. You know, I think 1 million cups is kind of a weird therapeutic thing for that for a lot of entrepreneurs. Well, I was going to ask you about 1 million cups. So tell everybody about that. Yeah. So 1 million cups every Wednesday at 9 a.m. We meet down at the Innovation Hub and one or two companies present. They get six minutes to explain their business model and their story. And then the audience has about 22 minutes of questions and feedback for that entrepreneur and it's kind of a way to see like, oh, their marketing is really bad. Look at that. And then you're like, well, my marketing is also. It's a way to take a step back and make you think about your business in a different way. And then I think, you know, meeting new people, going to some of those events. Does the Innovation Hub provide those kinds of spaces for people? Places to think, conceptualize, yeah. and do they get together sometimes? Yeah. So we try to encourage them to meet and I make introductions kind of as it's needed. Um, and we have some ways to kind of automate and force them to meet too. But they'll use the whiteboards. I'll try to work through different companies. People aren't used to getting their ideas out of their head and getting on a board and using that as their second brain. Um, and then we also, halfway through implementing cohort groups, we used to all meet together every month for lunch. And it was great and cozy. But now that we have 25, 30 companies, yeah. by the time we introduce everybody, it's time to go. So we've broken it out into, you know, based where they are in scale or we actually have five or six companies around gaming, video game, tabletop gaming, that kind of thing. So they all meet almost as their first advisory board. They can kind of call each other out, hold each other accountable, um, and like, you know, see things because they're objective. That's healthy. Yeah. So you've been at Ready now going on your third year. Have you been doing 1 Million Cups for three years? So 1 Million Cups, this August 8th will be our five-year anniversary. I mean, yeah, and I helped launch it here when I first came. Pac Matthews, Keith Polite, Matt Murray, we would sit and watch the live stream from Kansas City in the small conference room. And then eventually grew it to launch our own. And so five years, you know, hundreds of companies. I don't know how much coffee. Yeah, I was going to stretch your memory here just a little and ask you, what's a couple of memorable presentations you've seen at 1 Million Cups? 
Logboat was really interesting always to hear their story. B. Donahue with Astronabeads is really fascinating. She presented when she was, you know, really just starting as a student and kind of getting caught up in this whirlwind of the market that really loved what she was doing. Influence & Co., Kelsey Meyer in presenting as they were already doing well, but before she realized how awesome they were, I think, if yeah. you look back at that. I've seen them present a couple of different places and a couple of different times, but the guys with the chicken farm. Stanton Brothers. Stanton. Yeah, that was just a really cool presentation. Yeah, and he's great. He really speaks well about his experience and like in a very down-to-earth, actionable way for people and students. I think if, you know, as they stay in our community, he's going to have rippling effects for a long time. What else about entrepreneurship goes on in Columbia that a lot of people may not know? So I think, you know, you have a lot of amazing stuff coming out of the university and research. I'm in a couple notes. Thermavant, they have that Lexo coffee mug that kind of instantly regulates your temperature. They're also making a beer mug that chills your beer. Perfect. But they're also in SpaceX satellites and all kinds of other crazy applications they're here right downtown. They're outgrowing their space. They get me a portable cigar humidifier. We could be really good friends. Yeah, you, you put that bug in Bill's <laughs> ear and he will work on it. All right. What other companies do you have on your list there? One of the ones in our hub that, you know, a company to watch, Scout and Nimble. Jesse and Sam Bodine have really carved out an authentic, huge following in interior design. They have some of the best up-and-coming interior designers around the country. They design rooms in their site. People shop them. They've grown it really organically, so they're poised to, to take off as much as they want. Mukatsu is a youth gaming and development company. They're actually uh, down south here. It's kind of like a mixture of Boy Scouts and varsity sports and video games. You know, So they work on mental health, physical health, nutrition, and how to be a better esports player. They partnered with CPS, the Columbia Public Schools, and they had the first official varsity esports league in the country for high school. They actually had letter jackets, all that stuff. You know, it's kind of interesting. Columbia, in the grand history, you know, if you thought about who had the first football team, you know, yeah. stuff like that, it's a big deal. Yeah, cool. In your position at Ready, being the director over this really important area, what's the next 12 to 18 months look like for you? So right now we're trying to build out some of the program we have for our hub clients, and that's really designed to help them scale and grow out of the hub, basically. Um, and then we have some set initiatives, a game jam. We're going to do a VR, AR event, sports jam this summer to do some sports startups. And then partnered with MIC for like their Shark Tank event in this fall. And then it kind of evolves, evolves from there. But really, I think we've done a lot to spur activity and connect with different pieces of the community. And so we'll be focusing on how do we build that structure? How do we scale ourselves? You know, we're at that startup phase. Yeah, it's definitely a very valuable piece of our community here and just done some outstanding work. People ask my employees all the time, and she's probably going to get me for asking this, but I'm going to ask you, what's it like working for Stacy? For Stacy? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. She would probably not enjoy this answer, but she hasn't seen it. But have you ever seen the show Parks and Rec? Uh, no. Okay. She's like a, she's like my real life Leslie Nope. Oh. Stacy's kind of like a force of nature. You know, yep. she's able to get things done. Very professional. And just passionate about everything she works with. And it's been really nice to work with her because, you know, she really trusts what we're doing. You know, she holds me accountable. Um, but we've been able to do a lot of things that takes other communities years to get their stuff together on because we have that autonomy to just take action, connect with people, find the right answers. You bet. Well, I know she's made a big difference since she's been here. You know, I saw her the other day at the chamber retreat and yeah. you guys are doing some really great work. Anything else about Ready that we need to let people know about before I ask you my standard list of closing questions here? You know, I think the airport, I've been surprised at how much the changes in growth of the airport has helped entrepreneurship and my clients. Some of them who fly to Seattle every other week, that flight to Denver changed their life yep. in really measurable ways. And then the increase in investors that are flying in from the West Coast and stuff, you know, something I didn't totally anticipate that's been really awesome. Yeah, I travel a lot. Oh, and yeah. so flying in, you don't have to wait long for your bags. Yeah. And I'm home in 10 minutes. That's as close to flying private. As yeah, you can true. get. I mean, it's yeah. it's really nice. I came in from New Orleans about a, two Mondays ago. I got in about ten thirty. I was home by like ten to eleven. It yeah. was awesome. I've got three consultants that are coming in for a little mini conference that we're doing here at the end of June. So it's a great way for people to get exposed to our community, yeah. having direct flights here. One of them's flying through Chicago. One of them's flying through Denver. It's awesome. And I have the director of the airport. He's in our Leadership Columbia this oh, nice. year. Mike, so, yeah. yeah, he's Mike, great. I enjoy Mike a great deal. So I've enjoyed having him in class this year. 
Okay, so here's my standard list of closing questions for you. Don't think about them too much. Okay. And uh, I'll just give them to you real quickly. Best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? Mm, probably a concert with my wife when we were dating. Okay. Any particular band? Not a planet. Okay. Out of Kansas City. And I'll try to get brushed up on my parks and recreation, but yeah. I haven't seen it. But I understand it's a real popular show. Number one hero in your life? Saul Kaplan out of Providence, Rhode Island with Biff. Okay. Top value you subscribe to? I think uh, empowerment. Most important person in your life? My wife, Lisa. Your favorite thing? That moment, like when someone realizes like they might actually be awesome. Like they're like, oh, yeah, I might actually know what I'm doing. That might be mine too. That's very cool. Yeah. Where they just actually, they get it. The light bulb comes on and it's like, uh I'm onto something here. That's why I like to ask where people do their thinking. Favorite food? Pizza tree, maybe. (laughs) Most beautiful place you've been to? Bucamaranga in Colombia. If you could describe success in one word, what would it be? Independence. Freedom. Yeah. 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 Um, how do you want to be remembered? Someone who potentiated people. Good. I saw that on your LinkedIn. Yeah. Oh, that was a word I stole from an entrepreneur. That's a great biography. Advice for a younger Colin. Getting over that you're from the Midwest and that it doesn't matter. Like you can do just as much stuff as someone somewhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. What's your favorite sound? Mm, a splash, maybe. Okay. Best lesson you've learned. Having a bias towards action, finding a way to take a step and do something and not freaking out too much about knowing everything that's going to happen. Nothing happens until you do something, right? Yeah. Okay, Colin Bunch, thanks for being on the program today. Thanks for having me. I'd like to have you back in about a year and see what's happened since I talked to you last time. We'll be watching uh, for some of the great success stories coming out of the the, uh, incubator and uh, business lab and all that stuff. So how do people get in touch with you? They can hit me up directly, Colin, at como.gov our website columbiaready.com you can schedule appointments with me I'm, we're on slack twitter i'm trying to be everywhere i can they could just google yeah yes. and then a couple of places they can yep. get you okay great colin thanks for being on thanks for having me coming up next on better than before i'll have your leadership lesson receive weekly coaching tips from tony richards delivered straight to your inbox whether you're a ceo or an entrepreneur Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. Tony Richards here, and it's that time of the show where we're going to give you a leadership lesson. And I'm going to kick it off today with a quote from our first president, George Washington. He said, I hope I shall possess firmness and power enough to maintain what I consider the most enviable of all titles, and that is the character of an honest man. So I want to talk to you today about integrity. It's something we talk about a lot. It's a characteristic that gets bandied around and a lot of us value. And it's one we look for consistently in ourselves and the people we surround ourselves with and in our leaders. But I want to ask you today, what does it really mean to have integrity? And I'll tell you something else. If you have to tell me about it and tell me you have it, I always wonder if you really have it. I always see trucks or vans on the highway advertising their business and they have integrity in there somewhere and I'm like if you really had it would you have to tell me you have it and would you try to promote to me that you have it wouldn't I just know you have it through dealing with you I'm a little suspicious when people want to shove something like that in my face and I wonder if you really have it so I got the random house dictionary out and here's the definition that it gives number one Adherence to moral and ethical principles, soundness of moral character and honesty. Number two, the state of being whole, entire, or undiminished. Number three, a sound, unimpaired, or perfect condition. Although the definition is sound, 
To me, it's a little more complex to define integrity in our everyday lives. And I'm going to give you some examples of how things can get gray really, really fast and how you really need to be sold out and steadfastly dedicated to whether or not you're a person of integrity. Here's the first scenario. You've just heard an extremely compromising but unfounded bit of information about a guy in your office who has the position you really want. You have a very strong possibility of being promoted to that position if they get out of the company and move on. It would almost double your current salary, and you don't really like that person either. Do you casually share the gossip around the office with other people? Do you share it with the boss and push their dismissal along? Or do you just sit back and wait and see what happens? Number two, you are delayed at the office. Then you're stuck in traffic for an extra 45 minutes, and you've got a dinner engagement that's pressing, and as you walk in the door of your home, the phone rings and your teenage child answers the phone. The phone calls for you, and it's someone who talks forever. Do you tell them, tell them I'm not home yet? Yes or no? Number three, you have a small team of direct reports. You're responsible for their reviews, salary raises, and bonus amounts. Last year, you told your salesperson that they doubled their sales, you would double their bonus. You are surprised to learn that they showed up at today's review with documented increases of twice their number from the previous year. Although you have not kept up with their progress, if you increase their bonus amount, it will decrease your own. Do you explain you're excited for the output, promise to make it up on down the road and give a moderate increase? Or do you keep your word and double the bonus, even though you will be left with only a small fraction of what you would have made in bonus? Number four, on your way back to the office from an early meeting, you stop for coffee. The line is really long, and by the time you have your drink, you wish you had opted for the drive through you hand the attendant a $20 bill and they give you change. You're leaving and you realize that instead of giving you back a 10 in change, they mistakenly gave you back your original 20 in change. Do you go back into the busy coffee shop and wait to return the extra $10 or do you just consider it a lucky day and drive off? Number five, your child really wants to play in the city soccer league. The teams are based on your geographic location. The team roster for your area is full and your kid can't get in. But the team where your sister lives has one remaining spot open. Do you put her address on the application as your own so your child can play soccer this year? Or do you tell your child that it's just full and you won't be able to play this year? There are five situations where you have an opportunity to demonstrate your amount of integrity. Good thought process of what you would do. That's this week's leadership lesson. We'll see you next time on Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and remember, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.